This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 112 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, December 12th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we'll look back at some of the major announcements from this past week's Game Awards. We'll be talking about Halo Infinite's arrival and critical reception for its campaign. And then we'll be talking with Ulf Hartelis, the game director for the upcoming title, The Gunk. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness go to someone who is unnamed, who asked to be unnamed, but was kind enough to check in on me. I had a tumultuous week where I should have been celebrating Halo's launch and enjoying the Game Awards. Uh, Unfortunately, my dog was uh, in dire emergency straits. She is okay now and doing much better, but she had an allergic reaction to some medicine. And so we had some very scary moments where uh, we quite seriously almost lost her and Several people reached out, including uh, one person who stood just above the rest in their check-in and and making sure that I was okay, but they did ask to be unnamed. Uh, And so I wanted to thank you for that. I appreciate you very much for checking in. Uh, I know I was supposed to be enjoying a bevy of game announcements, and there is plenty to talk about uh, in this past week, but it was really nice to get some perspective, be able to take a step back, and then with hindsight and knowing that she is, of course, safe now, uh, gather my wits about me and, and kind of reflect on what I was taking seriously and what I wasn't. And those are uh, humbling moments in life that I think we all often get, uh, or rather maybe not often get, but get from time to time to put things into perspective. And that said, uh, I gained a bit of perspective this week. Here's hoping I'm able to to stick with it. Uh, I've got a lot to look forward to in the upcoming weeks. Next week, I'm going to the Halo Championships with my best friend, Kev. Uh, Very excited to see an eSports event for the first time. Uh, It's being held in Raleigh, North Carolina. We got VIP passes, so we'll be taking a tour uh, and just seeing what it's all about. I don't know that we are going to stick around for the whole three days. I don't know that I want to sit in a room and watch Halo for three days straight. But for the experience, to see kind of how it all is going down and just know what it's all about, I'm really excited for that. And, you know, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they got some uh, skins for Halo Infinite right there. As a non-Rockstar drinker, I'm a little light on these skins as everybody's showing off uh, of late. And so I, I may, maybe they, people, uh, maybe there's some of those pro teams, they pass a few skins my way. We'll see. We'll see. Anywho, guys, plenty of gaming news. Let's get into it. Well, the Game Awards were held this past weekend, and Jeff Keighley's announcement show was uh, a big hit. People seem to really be into it. I myself did not get to watch it live, but I did check out the recaps. Uh, I believe It Takes Two won uh, big awards, Joseph Ferris's game, which was uh, exciting for them. Congratulations to them. Uh, I know that uh, 
the award show has mixed meaning throughout a lot of the gaming verse. And uh, for my part, I had to kind of consume it by way of recaps. Uh, and that kind of boiled down for me into announcement videos. I was really looking more at the trailers for the upcoming games, which isn't exactly in the spirit of a gaming award show, but it really feels like that's the point of this now. And there's a balance in that. I think that's a an often discussed topic and not one I'm really going to get into this time. But many people wrote in, including Famous Seamus, asking me uh, just what my favorite announcements were from this week and also my overall thoughts on the show itself. Uh, Famous Seamus, by way of consuming it via recap, it seems like the show was uh, fairly well received. A lot of people pretty happy with it uh, and pleased with with what was presented there uh, for my part i was not overly enamored like i watched a little bit of it live and then had to transition away from it for a bit um it didn't really it, it doesn't it didn't click for me this year i'm not sure why i don't know if it was the controversy surrounding the panelists or activision i don't know if it was a matter of you know the 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 conversations that kind of devolved when it came to Forza and Halo Infinite being included. And then of course, you know, was that because of my own bias of really enjoying those two games and, and having a lot of experience with those franchises and being confused at the snub and the timing and such, and you know, whether or not it is a snub. And so my, my thoughts overall kind of go back to the conversations I think we've been having for weeks is, you know, the relevancy, is it important? Uh, it absolutely is relevant. It absolutely is important. But in what ways and how can it better be consumed? I think we, as a gaming community, for all the strife and frustration and the calling out of, of toxic actions throughout the gaming industry, I think we also owe Jeff Keighley uh, quite a bit of praise every single year as he puts this together. He brings eyes to the world of gaming. He spotlights different games that may not otherwise get it. And you can argue any day of the week. Anyone can argue any day of the week that he could do a better job of this, that, and the other. But I can tell you in my profession uh, at the moment, I'm spread so thin that I'm giving it my absolute best every single day. And sometimes it's not good enough. And it's, it's still the best I can do in those moments. And to put together an award show after doing a digital one last year, uh, I think there's praise to be offered in that. And we did get a number of announcements. Uh, he had said prior to the show that he had several announcements on the Elden Ring level. And I think, unfortunately for me, that set an expectation that was not to be won and not to be handled there. I, I didn't feel like that was the case. I'm not even a big Elden Ring fan, though I will tell you, listeners, I'm coming around. I'm coming around on it. I'm kind of there. Like, I am excited for Elden Ring now. I'm not sure what happened, what changed. Uh, somehow some of my cast co-op partners, uh, Ainsley Bowden and Joseph Moran have me excited for this game. I, I don't get it, but here I am here. I am. Uh, nonetheless, I think that set an expectation for me. I wasn't overly prepared for, uh, some of my expectations were met. I did see a Hellblade two trailer, uh, and you and several others asked my favorite trailers from it. I loved the Hellblade two trailer. I thought that was a fantastic display of the direction that that game is going, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, um, uh, you have to be impressed with just what Ninja Theory is putting together there and how they're growing that franchise. And it looks to be a major big hit. Uh, Senua looks great. The audio design was incredible. I encourage all of you guys, for all these trailers I'm discussing, go back and watch them in 4K. That's how you should be consuming these things to really understand what next-gen fidelity might offer for us. Uh, but Hellblade 2, it impressed. I thought the, the art design continues to be impressive. The music from Highlung just seems to be wonderful. Uh, I, I really want to see just what happens uh, with Hellblade 2. I want to know if it's going to be the God of War contender. Like, is it meant to be that? 
or is it meant to be something on its own entirely like Senua's Sacrifice was? And so there, there's a lot of questions for me surrounding Hellblade 2, but if I were to be blunt, now that Halo Infinite is out, out of any out of any of the games that we know are in production from Microsoft, Hellblade 2 is the one I most anticipate. Uh, Forza and Halo were my big ones. Those are the ones I'm so excited. Hellblade 2 would, would kind of fall after that and be on that State of Decay 3. Uh, Redfall and Starfield don't do it for me right now. Uh, maybe they will, right? Like, we all change our minds as we go, but I've seen nothing from Starfield that would suggest I would like it because I'm not really into many of Bethesda's, like, Fallout and Skyrim-style games. But, like, it, it, will it be? I don't know. And so in that realm, we haven't seen anything from Perfect Dark or Avowed or Fable to really sell us on gameplay. And so Hellblade 2 is is my most anticipated, followed by State of Decay. And so I was really pleased to see that trailer there, and it, it was it was a good vibes. You have to be excited for what Ninja Theory is putting together there. The sound design, man, so good. Uh, so good, man. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, the other trailers that I was just really into, Wonder Woman. Oh, man, as a DC fan, I loved the idea that we're getting a Wonder Woman game from Monolith, who just perfected that Mordor aesthetic when they did uh, Shadow of Mordor and the Nemesis system. So excited for that, knowing that this Wonder Woman game is in Themyscira, so the art design and the, the style already lends itself to matching Mordor. Uh, and then that it, too, will have a Nemesis system. They'll be able to explore... Most likely, this is me inferring based on a very short tease, they'll be able to explore Greek Pantheon, given that it isn't Themyscira. We'll probably see Ares and several other of the gods and goddesses that might be relevant in that world. Really excited for that. Really excited for that. Also, totally dope that it's Wonder Woman. I still want my Superman game. I still want my Flash game. But cool that it's Wonder Woman. Would not have seen that coming. I would have expected Superman. I would have expected like Green Arrow to you know piggyback on batman's style of combat but uh here we go wonder woman i'm there i'm excited for it i think that is a great character uh and kind of like hellblade 2 in the sense that having another strong female protagonist uh in the world of gaming alongside perfect dark alongside uh, horizon forbidden west and horizon frontier i forgot the, the first ones zero dawn zero dawn Great. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. More diversity, more characters brings more people into gaming and then more people that are into gaming mean better for the industry and more people make games. It's a cyclical thing and it's only getting better. I love that. Uh, so I was excited by that one. And then also in the DC realm, man, somehow, some way Suicide Squad looked amazing. Nothing prior to the Game Awards had me excited. I was terrified of Suicide Squad. So excited for Gotham Knights. That is my most anticipated for next year. But like, Suicide Squad had done nothing for me, and I mean absolutely nothing. I don't even want to play as the bad guys. I want to be the hero all the time. But this trailer? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for Suicide Squad. Still, as I said, I want my Superman game. But man, oh, man, what a cool trailer. Seeing the abilities that they were making use of, watching the Flash talk junk, seeing Captain Boomerang and King Shark be relevant and cool was surprising to me, right? Like, those two characters to me are, like, fun fodder. And they were relevant and dope. And I'm just, I'm excited to see what they do with this game. And I hope it paves the way for more superhero games in the DC verse. Cause man, Gotham Knights is, is my most anticipated. I cannot wait to be Nightwing. Cannot wait to ignore Jason Todd entirely. Uh, I'm stoked for this one. And I, I, I just, I'm excited to see DC games being relevant, right? Like that's really cool. Rock on. I want to see more of that, more of that, please for sure.
Other announcements, Alan Wake 2 at the Game Awards. I think anybody that has been following the story of Control and has been checking out the DLC with Control Ultimate Edition and then, of course, recognizing that there was an Alan Wake remastered and some of the hints that they've been laying down on social media, we all knew that Alan Wake 2 was in production, something they were working on, and it's within that universe and it's separate from Control 2. Alan Wake 2 looks to be a survival horror game. Sam Lake was at the Game Awards and discussed just that. To me, that was really exciting because Alan Wake is a wonderful, fantastic world. Having recently played through the remaster, uh, I realized so much about what I like about it. And Remedy seems up to the task given how impressive the work on Control Ultimate Edition was and what they did as far as next-gen stuff and the trailer looking as uh, so high fidelity and beautiful as it did. I'm excited for this. Also, a survival horror game. Really dig that. A survival horror game uh, made by a Western studio is going to be really fun to watch, I think. We've had a lot of Eastern studios making things, a lot of Resident Evil element uh, style, you know, like influences. And then there's the one that's being made from Bethesda that is Ghostwire Tokyo, I want to say. So I'm excited for a survival horror game made by a Western studio and just to see how that plays out uh, as well. I don't know if that's an arc or narrative that anyone else is taking. It was just something that kind of mildly occurred to me as I was watching it. And, uh, Here's cheers to it. Like I want to see more Alan Wake. That's a great universe. I loved Alan Wake and Control. And so it's going to be really cool to see kind of what happens with that. I cannot imagine that game is coming out anytime soon. Same with Wonder Woman. Like those games are 2023 at best, likely 2024 for sure. Um, The other big one, the other big trailer was Star Wars Eclipse. Now this one had one of the coolest trailers I have seen for a Star Wars game. And then at the very end popped Quantic Dream. Uh, I don't think I'm alone in having trepidation about that. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I don't know about this one. It's an action adventure game. Uh, So that's cool. Um, Let's see. Uh, Famous Seamus wrote in specifically on the Star Wars Eclipse game. uh, And he says, personally, seeing that Quantic Dreams is developing Star Wars Eclipse immediately killed my anticipation for the game. What are your thoughts on this? Honestly, imagining David Cage, who I personally think is overrated, wannabe filmmaker hack, along with being a sexist, homophobic ass, uh, is being involved uh, in a game like this over someone like Amy Hennig just makes my blood boil. Uh, Hard to argue a lot of his David Cage's failings as a game maker. And while I can't off the top of my head remember some of the homophobic elements, you've never steered me wrong on that famous Seamus. And so I believe you. Um, And yeah, I've never been one for Quantic Dreams games. They are not my jam. and I've never been really truly interested in them. Um, My anticipation was was also killed when I saw Quantic Dream pop up there. Knowing all of the Star Wars stories that can be told, having just played Chorus and thinking what a Rogue Squadron game could be. Uh, having played Jedi Fallen Order and then seeing the opening of this trailer thinking it was Jedi Fallen Order 2. Uh, And then, of course, Battlefront 2 being as good as it was in the recent news that Battlefront 3 was scrapped. I was bummed, right? Like, I was straight up bummed. And then you add the Amy Amy Hennig uh, elements into it, and it's just like, man, what a bummer. Um, That said, much like the good people at Activision, like the people I'm thinking like Belinda Garcia and some of the people that worked really hard on Vanguard, who have seen their work with with Vanguard just get trashed because of higher ups. Um, I have to wonder how the people at Quantic Dream are feeling about this, about that. They're probably very excited to have the Star Wars franchise. They probably are aware of David Cage's reputation. Uh, That's probably the best way to put that, but I don't think it's nearly on the same level. So I think we owe it to them to see how it unfolds and to pay very close attention and hold them accountable. Uh, Activision and 
Cyberpunk have taught a lot of lessons uh, in, in the gaming space and in the development side and how employees should be treated. EA, of course, no strangers to this. Any any venture into a Jason Schreier article will tell you more about any number of companies like Ubisoft and EA that have these issues. Man, it's it's frustrating, but I think we owe it to ourselves to keep holding people accountable for it and make our voices heard by way of money spent and in social media. And that, that's an important thing that we as gamers can do. Uh, the caveat being, how, how do you support the developers that are good and, and hardworking and just trying to make art while you hold the companies accountable? And that's a, a fine line that never really gets a definitive answer. It's always going to be case by case. And that's frustrating. There's my alarm. And sorry about that. I'm sure that came through the audio. That's my alarm uh, suggesting that I need to uh, sit down for my interview with Alt Hartelis, who is uh, the game director for for the gunk. He and I are talking in a few minutes. So that's kind of fun. I'm really excited about that one. But yeah, uh, apologies for that if it came through the mic. I'm kind of just going by the flute seat of my pants this week, uh, for sure, for sure. Let's go. Uh, one more thing uh, that I saw at the Game Awards that I really liked was the Halo trailer. Goodness gracious, the live action series for Halo on the back of Halo Infinite's extremely fun campaign. And I'm not doing a review for the Halo Infinite campaign. I wanted to kind of make that known. Uh, I'm doing a review for Chorus, which I already did. I'm sorry. I'm doing a review for The Gunk. I did a written review for Chorus over at SeasonGaming.com, which I hope you guys will check out. I want to just enjoy Halo Infinite for the moment. I'm playing it on Heroic. And I'm playing through the campaign. It is way harder than I would have expected Heroic to be, but I'm having an absolute blast. The writing is top-notch. There's a lot that you can do in this world. I'll tell you more. I want to talk more about it after I consume it more, for sure. And there's a lot of focused reviews on the internet, and I don't need to add to that conversation yet without having finished it. But I'm taking my time and playing this slowly at at a pace that I'm enjoying, and I love it. I'm absolutely loving it, for sure. Everyone should be playing this game uh, to see what it's about. I love it, for sure. Um, but on the back of that, to the point I'm originally making, the Halo live action trailer looked really good. I got vibes of The Expanse, which shout out to The Expanse, getting a game uh, from Telltale. Really cool for that. I got Expanse vibes from this new Halo. We were seeing a lot of lore elements from the books, like the Kig Yar facilities that call the rubble. Uh, we saw a lot of really cool stuff in this trailer for those that are interested and in those that weren't. Um, I think you're looking at a good, cool story. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how this plays out. I also like, and I'm being serious here, that it's on its own story. It's not tied into the game's story. It'll it'll have similarities and mimic it, but it's not like canon for the games and the books. So it could be its own thing. And that's awesome. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I think it's important that things can stand on their own. And when they have integrated universes, there needs to be a clear collected vision. And right now the games need to be able to focus on themselves, particularly with Infinite being a platform with more campaigns to come. So... Uh, that was really, really fun. Also, hey, hey, a Star Trek game, a Star Trek game is coming. I'm very excited for that. I love Star Trek because I'm a big old, big old nerd. There's a Star Trek game coming and it looks like down the line I'll have an interview with that team. They're going dark for a little bit, um, but I'm very excited to chat with that team once they do kind of open up to me, to make themselves available once again, because uh, how about it? How about it? All right. Game Awards. Good show this year. Thank you to Jeff Cooley for making them. Keep the conversations and holding people accountable. That's important for sure. Uh, let's transition to just a few other uh, small news pieces from this week. This is David Bateson, the voice of Agent 47. 
and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Well, PC Game Pass for PC is getting a rebrand, renamed now uh, to be rebranded as PC Game Pass. This is a new thing to remove the Xbox moniker from Game Pass for PC, now just called PC Game Pass. Uh, it seems to make it more simplified and a little less confusing for PC gamers. Of course, all the day and date stuff that goes into Game Pass Ultimate uh, will be available for PC. And that's a lot of titles coming out over this next year. Of course, Forza Horizon and uh, Halo Infinite also dropped into there as well. Um, it, it's probably a smart move as PC gamers are contending with Steam and Epic Game Store. And then, of course, Microsoft launchers as well. Um, having Game Pass for PC is is awesome but pc game pass makes more sense than throwing the xbox name in there and making you think that you will or won't need to have a certain box or subscription that kind of thing Uh, it's a little bit more clear messaging however the messaging does include the xbox symbol so cool enough not really relevant to me as i'm not a pc gamer but i think anything to streamline bringing people into these day and date games is good for the brand so uh, bravo to them for that i like the rebrand there that was a small topic coming out this week a couple other small topics here. Scorn has been delayed into October of 2022. Scorn is a thing still. I thought that game was likely canceled by now at this point, given that it was supposed to launch with the Xbox Series X. Uh, but, you know, here we are. Games delayed into 2022. No surprise here, given that it's December. But looking like it's going to be in October. So not a bad move, I guess. It looks gross. So having it in, a, in October with horror games would be uh, kind of cool. It certainly is atmospheric. And who can argue that... Uh, by that time, we'll need a good solid first person shooter, and that maybe Scorn by then is just that. You know, who knows? Uh, equally fascinating to me in the first person shooter space was Crossfire X, a game that has been uh, maligned and pretty dark in terms of news over the past year or so. Uh, having a first person campaign, not a first person, a uh, single player campaign developed by Remedy, and then the multiplayer developed by Smilegate, something that we played a beta in when the Xbox. Uh, I want to say last summer, in the summer of 2020, we played uh, a beta for. Uh, Looks like Crossfire X finally does have a release date coming out on February 10th. Why they chose February, I have no idea. Why not just go to March, give it a little more time? Uh, Nonetheless, they did show a new trailer for it. The the campaign looks great. The multiplayer, of course, will be free to play. And you got to think that... With Remedy in charge of the storytelling, you might have a good campaign to play for sure. And then equally fascinating, will that time, that February window, be a smart time to drop a multiplayer military shooter given that, you know, Call of Duty, nobody's interested, Battlefield 2042, broken as can be, uh, and that Halo Infinite has yet to fix its battle passes, so most people will have max battle passes well before the holidays. Is February going to be a great time for people to jump over to Crossfire while they wait for more Halo content in the first-person shooter space. I uh, have to wonder, maybe it's a win for them. They've got an opening there, given that there's no military first-person shooters that are interesting. Uh, if they cleaned up a lot of their issues, hey, I'm in. I liked the gameplay well enough of Crossfire X for a free-to-play. If they you know, polished and really came out with something special, why not? Why not make that a hit for the year? Apex did that. A surprise drop early, early in the year, and then people were, were in. So... I'm interested in Crossfire X, more more curiosity-based, I guess, than anything else, but I don't know why not. Why not? I'm interested in that. I'll check that one out for sure. And then, of course, when you have Remedy in charge of your single-player campaign, I mean, they made Alan Wake and 
control. And I just talked all about that. So uh, interesting to see that. I don't think, and I don't know for sure, but I do not think the single player campaign is coming to Game Pass. That is an interesting element to it. I don't know why I would think it would, but in my mind, in my gut, I feel like it should. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting. Uh, So it goes. So it goes. Let's see. Before we get to listener mail, guys, I want to do just a little bit of housekeeping. If you're listening at this point, uh, if you're willing to leave a comment in the YouTube section for this week's episode, you'll be entered into a three-month Game Pass Ultimate giveaway. This is for North American listeners. Guys, I have tried and tried and tried to get codes for other areas, and I don't know how to buy them in the right way. And so... North America it is, but if you leave a comment in there, tell me what you are looking forward to playing this holiday uh, once you get some downtime. If you get downtime, just what are you looking forward to playing? That's all you got to do. Enter in for three months of Game Pass Ultimate. Uh, I will try to give it away on the next show if I don't forget, which I shouldn't forget. Hold me accountable to that, guys. Hold me accountable because I want to give back to you guys. I have two codes of three months months of Game Pass Ultimate to give away, Uh, and I just want to thank you guys. I've had a great year in terms of podcasting. I've been able to guest on a lot of shows, meet a lot of people. The show is is climbing the charts a little bit in terms of popularity, which is cool. And so as a solo endeavor, it's it's kind of neat. It's kind of neat. helps me uh, connect to more people, and I just want to say thank you. Let's do some listener mail. Let's see. Keith L. wrote in an email, and he you can always email me, insipidghost at gmail.com. He says, Halo is here. What is your favorite Halo-related memory, accessory, collectible? Cheers from Toronto, Canada. Uh, he lists his gamer tag, which has a lot of letters and numbers into it, uh, and it is confusing, but it, it spells out rocket scientist in a really cool, like alphanumeric way, man. Uh, my favorite halo related memory. I don't know that it's a single memory, but I have very fond memories of playing halo reaches, uh, weekly challenges, the campaign challenges, the multiplayer challenges with, uh, my friends, Justin and Carrie. We had a lot of fun playing through those during a dark time in my life, which was a blast. And then halo fours, uh, campaign was very special really enjoyed that and then most recently i've really enjoyed uh it was in 2020 when we thought the game that infinite was going to be coming out my buddies kev joe and i we played through all of the halo campaigns in master chief collection uh when there was just co-op we did two people and then of course as we could expand it we did more people and uh that was fun to just play through all of them together and reflect on what we wanted from infinite at the time Uh, feels like a lifetime ago because that was when the pandemic had just started but it's a good way to connect with people for sure. Uh, now, my favorite Halo accessory, how can I not say this incredible 117 Elite 2 controller that came out? It is beautiful. It is beautiful. It's got engravings all over it. I love this Halo controller. Uh, it, it is just wonderful. And so that is probably my favorite accessory. And then collectible, I'm not sure I have a favorite collectible. Um, I've got a lot in my room. I'm looking right now over at the Halo Infinite statues that came out. Love the grapple shot one. Uh, and I have the the variant from Best Buy with the orange energy sword. That's beautiful and amazing. I love the Halo Reach statue. That is a fantastic one. I've got all these Halo loot crate things that I used to get. Uh, and I'm building the Mega Blocks, Pel- Mega Blocks Pelican right now, Keith. Uh, and that is a really fun build to do. And I've already got the anti-aircraft gun and a wasp, not a wasp, a hornet uh, built as well. Uh, I want the wasp. That's the one that's hard to get for uh, anyone that cares to to build mega blocks for halo <laughs> what a nerd um i can't find the wasp right without paying an arm and a leg so maybe i can get mega blocks to sponsor it just send me a little thing just a little thing uh for sure um yeah that's that's those are kind of just some quick halo thoughts for you on that one on that one for sure uh 
Uh, Court Lalonde, uh, he wrote in asking about Crossfire X. He said, how will Crossfire X fare with an extremely crowded November? I think he went February when he wrote November. Um, it's got a chance, man. As a military shooter, little competition in that particular space. There's a lot coming out in February, man. You got Elden Ring. You got uh, Horizon Zero. No, Horizon Forbidden West. You've got, I want to say Gran Turismo, or is that March? You've got Dying Light 2. Uh, and a few others that are just off the top of my head. It is very crowded, but a free-to-play military shooter might land and might do well. So, I I think it's got a shot. I really do think it's got a shot. The last question here comes from Artor Gaming. He says, is PlayStation Spartacus a vindication of Microsoft's approach or a genuine threat to its subscriber base? And how much your answer depends on day and date being for big titles. Um, Let's see. So, is PlayStation Spartacus vindication? Um, I'm not sure it's vindication per se, but they're certainly recognizing the value that the subscription model has and that Microsoft has invested in. Uh, it makes perfect sense that they would do this. I call it a Game Pass competitor. How, However, many people, inclu- including my seasoned gaming friends, they disagree with that particular descriptor. Uh, in their conversations, I hear them saying it's not a Game Pass competitor, uh, and they reference like articles similar to the one Paul Tassi wrote where it's really just a combination of PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus being put into a tier system. However, in my mind, if you've got a subscription service that's bringing games to the people, it is a competitor for Game Pass because uh, they're going to be money and time based, right? Like you can only have so much time to invest into games. And depending on how far your dollar needs to travel, you might be making tough choices there. So that's why I view it as a competitor. The day and date aspect is certainly the big win for Microsoft, given that they have 23 studios with multiple teams each. They're going to be pumping out games for the next five years. They've already kind of truly started now with Forza and Halo, uh, and they've got more coming with Redfall and and so, several others for next year. Um, Starfield is the big one. Redfall is the other big one. But they've got smaller stuff in the works. I'm curious to see kind of the cadence that they can get. Um, I don't know that it's a threat in the traditional sense, but it will be competing for dollars and time. And you can't pretend like that's not a factor. Um, I think it is a testament to the the value that subscription services can offer. And for me, it's a good thing. I want PlayStation doing this, and I do want PlayStation to get to a day and date factor because it will force the best of both of them. A lot of people say this isn't a new idea, but having competition between your major players is important. Uh, and it is because Microsoft bombed in the Xbox One era that we're getting this incredible run of games from Microsoft now. The incredible amount of value put into Game Pass. They had Outriders and MLB The Show and Back for Blood all dropping day and date into a service uh, that were, it was a big deal that those games did that. Those were big games in the months that they came out uh, and with however many incredible indie titles dropping day and date into there. I think with the gunk kind of wrapping up this December, um, I am playing the gunk right now. I can't talk about it yet, but um, I think that's a good testament to the value of the service. So why shouldn't we be excited for it? Um, I do think it's a threat in terms of money and time, but not a threat to truly tackle the subscriber base. I see no signs of Xbox slowing down, particularly given their infrastructure. xCloud's a big major player. The ability to play via xCloud, people on their Xbox Ones are not going to be able to play more advanced titles via the cloud, depending on their internet connection, and that's going to continue to improve over time. I don't see Xbox Game Pass slowing down much. Uh, I do think we'll hear announcements soon. After a few more days of Halo Infinite being out, we'll hear numbers about that. Uh, Game Pass, we might hear numbers kind of late into this year, early next year, just for where the subscriber base is. Uh, 
but they, I would say that, you know, you see a nice glass ceiling around, you know, 50, 60 million there, but I'm excited for game pass. I, and I'm excited for PlayStation Spartacus. I want value in my games. So uh, good for them. Good questions. Got guys. I appreciate it. That is going to be it for this portion of the show. Before I head over to my interview with the game director of the gunk off Artelius. Uh, I'm worried that I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly because we've not spoken just yet. So my apologies to you if I am my friend, uh, guys, please, please, please head to iTunes, drop a review, head to Spotify or your podcast service of choice and drop a share on the show. It makes a big difference. And closing out the year as kind of a solo independent thing, uh, I'd like to get more ears and eyes on it. I know it's, it's doing well. I'm proud of the work, but I'd like to see uh, a little bit more growth. And you guys are the best way to help me with that. And I appreciate you all so much. That's it for me. Enjoy the interview with Ulf. Take care, everybody. We are very fortunate now to welcome the game director for the upcoming title, The Gunk from Image Inform, Ulf Artelius. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good, Luke. Thanks for having I, me. Are you kidding? I'm so excited to talk to you. There is uh, so much hype and excitement around The Gunk. It's kind of the last big title uh, to be launching in 2021 for the Xbox community. A lot of excitement for it. You have to be both excited and a wreck at this point. Oh yeah, definitely uh, hit it right on the nail there. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long year for sure, and it's uh, yeah, it's very exciting to be to, to be ending the year like this. Uh, I think it's going to be a, fun a send great off, game. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people are really gonna like appreciate it as one of those like. Uh, Christmas holiday games. Uh, I think it's going to be a great fit there. Uh, just relax. Was that, was that uh, always the intention to come out at that time? No, it wasn't actually. It was actually the in intention to release uh, in September originally. Uh, but uh, we felt that, well, you know, we really want, wanted to give the game uh, some more time. Mm -hmm. and uh, it wasn't a really a, uh, such a strict deadline that we had to commit to it anyway. It was mm -hmm. more that, you know, that was the plan. Uh, but we looked at the plan uh, a couple of months before then, and, and we figured out, you know, do we want to ship, like, a less good game early or, like, a better game late? And, mm. you know, that choice is pretty easy to make. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. I mean, like... I have a, a colleague, uh, Ulle Håkansson, who's been the game director for most of the Steamwall games. He always says that uh, a good game lasts forever. And and he's right. I think yeah. he's right. And the Steamworld, ga Steamworld games, of course, what Image and Form is known for, that, those are 2D titles with high amounts of critical praise. The Gunk is a 3D title. What what was the transition like between 2D to 3D, and why go that route? Yeah, it's been a... Uh... Definitely been a long, a long route uh, for sure. I mean, back when we were making like at least uh, Steamworld Dig Two, uh, some of us uh, were getting kind of, uh, you know, kind of antsy. We really wanted to to try and make a full 3D game. Uh, I mean, we, we had made a couple of 2D games by that point. We had gotten pretty comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, gotten pretty comfortable like doing Steamworld games. I mean, you know. And we really wanted to try something new. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where the, the 3D uh, came from. 
and as well as you know uh, making a, a game in a new setting uh, a new ip uh, so a couple of us kind of branched off uh, while the majority of the team went on to work on Stone Quest. Mm-hmm. A couple of us branched off and uh, did a couple of prototypes in, in 3D uh, to try and, you know, familiarize ourselves with, the, with it. Uh, some of us have been working like professionally with 3D at past studios. Some of us have been doing it like me, uh, just more on a hobby level. Uh, mm-hmm. Some were completely fresh. So, so we had a very mixed bag, but as a as a team, uh, we had never done anything. So there was a lot of lot of things to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first couple of prototypes we did, uh, for various reasons, they didn't uh, well, they didn't really uh, end up as as anything we wanted to to keep working on. Mm-hmm. But we 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 knew that. We, we liked like the potential we had here, and we, we could definitely see that we, as a team, could could do something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just weren't sure just yet what that would be. And eventually, I, I'm gonna kind of take a question and run with it here. I hope that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, and so like eventually. Uh, one of those prototypes, we, we, we kind of looked at it and it was this really sprawling thing where we really just stuck one thing on, onto it after another. Uh, it was like just, uh, just a mess. But we were like, but there is something here. Mm-hmm. We kind of digested it and just cherry picked uh, one feature, one particular feature from that mm-hmm. prototype. Which was and... this uh, ability to to uh, uh, suck and blow air, mm-hmm. and we were like, that feature is pretty like pretty unique, and it fits this uh, like it kind of fits the 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 mood we're going for, and we we think that there is a lot of interesting stuff we can do with this mechanic uh, that's not really been done in a lot of other games, so we put that like. In a new prototype, we just ripped everything else uh, out of it. Uh, and then we just made a small, like a jungle environment mm-hmm. and just filled it with a mist, really simple placeholder mist. And your really, really your only action was just, you could go around this jungle and you could suck up that mist and just reveal uh, everything under it. Mm-hmm. And you would find like a little, just a little, pickups and and it was like an enemy ripped from the from a previous prototype as well mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't really do much about them just kind of collected the pickups uh, avoid the enemy and but but just this act of exploring this this environment even it's like gray boxed uh, boring shape but just sucking up the mist revealing the world under it and kind of kind of this it really tickled your fancy like tickled the imagination of mm-hmm. what what is under here and like what but also like from a narrative standpoint like so where did this mist come from what what, what is it doing to this world um is, is it is it neutral is it harmful uh what's the relationship um, mm-hmm. and that was definitely like the the starting point for what eventually became the gunk mm-hmm. uh, because then, then we just extrapolated, you know, just worked from there and try to see, okay, so uh, this mist, uh, what is it? How do you interact with it? 
what does it mean when you uh, remove it um, and just uh, made it a lot more like cohesive and, and from a, both a gameplay standpoint from an artist standpoint we and we really wanted to, to marry the two uh, at all times and, and, and from an art standpoint uh, do you feel like you've done that that's a I terrible so. question by the way <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no but, I, but but i think so uh, uh i think we have pretty successfully married them actually uh, that was also like one of the one of my uh very early ambitions uh, to um because to me like the games that i enjoyed the most and and uh, really look up to as like kind of the, the hallmarks of video games are the mm-hmm. ones that that really manage to to merge uh, all of the different aspects. Uh, mm-hmm. The games where you can't like separate any any single part of it. You can't just mm-hmm. talk about the story in this game or uh, the gameplay here because they're they're so intertwined. Like my my, my favorite games are. are um, uh, Lucas Pope's um, both uh, Papers, Please and um, uh, uh, Return of the Oberlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you played either of them, very story based. I mean, yes, they're story based uh, in a way, but but all of the story. Uh, I mean, you encounter all of the story via gameplay, mm, and you, you can't okay. really you can't really talk about just the story in in, in either of those games. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're so connected with the gameplay, and similarly, I mean, you can't really play them just with the, just for the gameplay. They, right. they would, it wouldn't be any fun. Wouldn't really mean anything. Uh, so that, that was that, like that was a very early ambition I had. And so what we did uh, with this game from the very beginning was that uh, we established this uh, little uh, cluster of, of uh, like directors on the team. So it was me as a, as a game director uh, coming from a game design background. Uh, and I had this really tight collaboration with uh, the art director, Tobias Nilsson, and the narrative director, uh, Peter Brookvist. Uh, uh, and we just, just to ensure that we were all on the same page uh, all throughout development. Uh, because previously, uh, I mean, the, the, the Steamwell games, uh, have always been very game design driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, always been gameplay first, which is like 100% valid. Uh, uh, de- absolutely a good way to, to make games. Uh, mm-hmm. And Blizzard does it the same way. Uh, but but with this game, we, we wanted something different. And one way of trying to achieve that was to have this uh, much tighter collaboration. Uh, so we had very regular uh, meetings and and all. And any like major decision would have to like kind of uh, we would have to have to agree on it, uh, and especially like in the in the other days uh, during the pre-production, we we're still trying to figure out what the game was gonna be. Uh, mm-hmm. We had to really get in sync. Uh, it it wasn't enough if I wanted something. I had to kind of convince them to want the same thing. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we we had to had to see that same star to to aim for. And do you feel? And when you look at the, the kind of the balance between the two, do you do you appreciate that collaboration more? Was it something that was productive? 
I think so, absolutely. Uh, I mean, for for this game, I mean, all, all games are different. I mean, uh, I, I don't think uh, such a collaboration is as important in, say, a Steamboat D game, uh, where mm-hmm. the gameplay is so central. I, I think like putting a a too strong emphasis on narrative in a in a dig game could be detrimental to the, to the end product, mm-hmm. um, because I mean, what, what what you gain by the by this collaboration, uh, you you kind of also lose some of the. Um, you can't do all the things that you could do if you just focused on, on one single part of the game. Uh, right. And let that decide on, and if everything else had to adapt to, to that part, uh, as has been the case in, say, the dig games, where like we're just gonna make this really awesome uh, gameplay, and everything else has to has to fit around that. Gotcha. That's great for for that kind of experience. Uh, gotcha. But for this one, where we wanted something else, uh, we wanted something more atmospheric, something more narrative, something more uh, serious. Uh, uh, we, we also had the, the uh, game's audio director until uh, he, uh, he left the company like uh, partway through the, the development, but then we, mm-hmm. we brought in like the, our composer uh, and had a really tight uh, relationship with him, him the directly instead. Mm-hmm. And similarly, like the music has also been a really central part of the game from from the get go, basically. Yeah. I think like for for this game, for the the feeling, uh, this really uh, chill, atmospheric, uh, explorative mood that we're going for here, mm-hmm. it's it's been absolutely vital that that you know you have this really soothing but also kind of uh, moody music uh, you have this really evocative like uh, jungle art uh, uh, art style in the game mm-hmm. you have the the narrative that's like uh, i mean <laughs> i realize now that of course that when you haven't played it yet uh, <laughs> but you have this these constant story beats as you as you explore the the game's world uh, between the main character Rani uh, as she's talking on the radio with her her colleague and, and best friend Bex, uh, uh, and they they have this constantly evolving relationship uh, via the radio co- uh, communication based on what what uh, what the player is experiencing. Uh, so I mean they're all really tightly knit. And and of course, like the, and and well, you're you're also also playing the game at all times. We, I mean, we have a couple of a couple of cutscenes in the game, uh, which is also kind of a new thing for us. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, for the most part, uh, we don't want to take the control away from the player. Mm-hmm. For, for the most part, we we want you to be to be able to to do all all the things all the time, um, and. Uh, and you know, th- this is still like um, this is still a game with a lot of gameplay and a lot of like gameplay features. And I mean, the gunk itself, uh, the way you interact with it, has to be really tangible. And and like, uh, yeah, like that's it's not just uh, something you do to progress the story. Uh, hopefully, like it's also something you do because it's. Um, because you enjoy the gameplay part of it as well. Uh, right. I gotcha. 
Well, a lot of people were asking, and then we had like Kevin, uh, we had three people, Kevin Ainsworth, Antonio Guillen, and Xbox Gamer all wrote in with the same question, question rather, asking what was the inspiration for the gunk itself? Like, is it a uh, environmental like health element to it? Was there other stuff? You talked about how the gameplay elements came in, but what was the inspiration for just the concept of the gunk? Um. So, so you have to clarify, like, uh, you, you mean uh, because we, we, uh, since the, the like uh, kind of the substance uh, in the game that you suck up is also called the gun, but you mean the game, right? I, I think they mean more like your job as Ronnie is to go around the planet yeah, clearing yeah. this gunk, and you can do it and keep the resources, or you can do it and keep the planet beautiful. Where's the inspiration of the two there? Mm, right. Yeah. So. And yes, there there is definitely an uh, environmental part uh, of this game uh, from the from the beginning, and it's kind of funny to to look back on it now because I, I looked back on it uh, as part of uh, doing some uh, retrospective work here here at the end, and uh, we started this game uh, just like a month or two before uh, Greta Thunberg's first protest, mm-hmm. uh, you know her uh, school strike, right. So it was definitely in that same uh, same space uh, that that uh, inspired her uh, to do her strike and and everything that followed that. Uh, that that was kind of the same uh, space that inspired us to to look at. I mean, I looked at games. I, I looked at the games we've been making, and again, like uh, I don't want to to devalue them because I, I'm. I'm super proud of of all of them but like i wanted to make a game that had some kind of uh, real world connection that you could Mm -hmm. play and you know you could as even after you turned it off you could you could kind of look at the world with some some kind of new eyes or some kind of new appreciation or something kind of you know uh, a a game to to give you some kind of uh, new perspective for something Mm -hmm. okay and for me, that, uh, it was just natural that would be the environment, uh, and like given the, the situation we're, we're all in uh, at the moment, and but also given that you know it, games haven't really tackled that that issue very much yet. I think we're gonna see a lot of games do that. I mean, we're already seeing like the latest Battlefield did it. I think. Uh, I think we're gonna see a lot of them. Well, certainly the gunk has uh, you going around this beautiful planet and there's a lot of gameplay opportunities when you're creating flora and fauna the way you do. I mean, the screenshots and and the the gameplay videos are just gorgeous. Uh, And the player is making use of this power glove as she goes. What what inspired the power glove per se? And what's it like creating a world as beautiful as that is to use that glove in? Yeah, so the the power glove is in in a way, it's kind of funny because that that was also like uh, part of one of the one of the early prototypes uh, for a completely different purpose, uh, and we kind of we got rid of it initially with uh, at the, at the start of the gunk and uh, had this tool instead, this vacuum tool, uh, but eventually we 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 didn't like how it looked uh, that you had to lug this this huge thing around. And we, we wanted to, the story and we wanted like everything to be more, uh, more, more tight, more small. Like uh, we, we had a lot more characters uh, in the beginning as well, but we, we stripped it all away, all away because we really wanted to focus on like these two characters 
and like the the isolation on this on this planet the, the isolation of this the, this like the last jungle on this otherwise like uh, uh, destroyed uh, world and every, we, and in order to, to like make everything smaller we also removed uh, any like gadgets that that weren't really necessary and th so that's kind of how, how we we uh, got back to like okay so can we can we place this vacuum uh, as her glove instead so it becomes mm -hmm. part of her and that way it's uh, like the very action of sucking up the gunk with it also becomes a lot more personal because she she's almost taking it into her herself mm -hmm. uh, and and it, but it also meant that because like the background that these characters come from are that they, they, they are this really uh, kind of scrapping uh, uh, they're out exploring uh, this like uh, asteroids and, and planets at uh, at the far reaches of the known of the known world, uh, trying to make a buck, and they, I mean they're barely getting by. So so it also makes sense to us that um, that she has this kind of bulky, probably like secondhand um, way after its best before date uh, power glove that she, she's been using forever. Uh, she's been fixing it with duct tape, uh, <laughs> and I mean they, they they can't really afford all the new shiny stuff, and mm -hmm. it also gave us a, an opportunity uh, to uh, you see it like in a, in a couple of couple of shots in the game. I'm not sure if, we, if we've shown it in any of the promo material yet, uh, only only like slightly so, but. Uh, the, the power glove is actually like uh, half that arm, uh, mm -hmm. so she occasionally takes it off uh, as she tinkers with it. Uh, so she also, she's also had this accident uh, prior to, the, to coming here, mm -hmm. and uh, that way we could also tie like the power glove to to her character. So it was very, like it's one of those uh, things that got. Uh, went from like this just this tool to something that's really personal. Mm -hmm. uh, similarly, like she she has this nickname for it, pumpkin, uh, because she's just so attached to it, like figuratively, right. uh, figuratively and literally. Mm -hmm. When you guys are going about designing something like that, does it uh, hinder you or open the world up as far as creating? I think it uh, definitely it opens it up because uh, you know the more thought you put into something like this, like like the power glove, like just uh, instead of just some some vacuum tool, uh, the more you coalesce that, the the clearer the picture of of her character and uh, of her like of a role in this world becomes. Mm -hmm. uh, so it becomes also a lot easier to to design that world around it because. Mm -hmm. The, the more you get to know this character, uh, the easier it is to to create a world that that, that fits her. Mm -hmm. And when and, and yeah, yeah, sorry, just just answer that question before, like how how did how was it to to uh, create create this world, uh, this yeah beautiful world that she's in? That that was also a big part of of uh, kind of a reflection 
on on the on the main character because mm -hmm. she comes from this really industrialized uh, background uh, she's really un unaccustomed to to just natural foliage and here she comes to this uh, overly lush world uh, so we, so we of course like had to really push that all the time we really wanted to to make this as lush as beautiful as we could and to make it a a really alien planet uh, but one that you could still like and just we, we really want to stay away from like this just uh, just make the grass red or just make everything uh, luminescent or whatever uh, some of those sci-fi alien world tropes we wanted something believable and um, but, but also like pretty unique well, I certainly feel like you've accomplished that. I'm curious, yeah, uh, how long are you expecting players to take in order to complete it? Because it is an open world, or is it level based? Like, what's the critical path? No, it's it's more. Uh, it's not open world. It's uh, it's mostly linear. Uh, okay. It's got a couple of couple of like uh, minor choices along the way, like, and it is, but it's still. But especially, I would say that it, it's linear, but with a lot of like side paths and optional content along the way. Gotcha. So gotcha. uh, depending on your play style and, and uh, kind of your uh, experience, uh, it's somewhere between five and ten hours. Okay, cool. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I have a few more questions for you yeah, on sure. this one. Are the two pro protagonists, Ronnie and Beck, in early coverage, it looks like these two are at odds with what to do on the planet. Are players motivated to take sides with one or the other? I mean, we don't give the player any like actual uh, actual choices in the matter, mm -hmm. uh, since you're 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 taking the role of Ronnie. So you kind of whether you agree with her or not, that you're still going worse, through you, and yeah, playing out that yeah, story. Yeah, gotcha. kind of has to stick with her. But I mean, of course, we want players to to think about what they're saying and and to think about their their arguments uh, themselves as well mm -hmm. and and because i mean neither of them we are at least at least from our, our, our point of view neither of them is like it's, it's not a black or white situation both of them have have uh, valid arguments mm -hmm. uh, and i mean you'll you'll encounter like um well Similarly to, I mean, uh, you'll encounter this this uh, alien civilization that has been mm -hmm. on this planet before, and as you learn more about them and uh, like the path that led them here, that's not really a black white uh, path either. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are definitely like parallels to to reasonings that that people are are going through uh, today here. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. I get it. I'm with you. Uh, one last uh, kind of round here. The game's coming to Xbox platforms, which means, you know, Xbox One through Series S and X along with PC. Is that a difficult task to make it work kind of in those cross-generational elements, or is it more of a simple thing? I mean, it would definitely be, be uh, simpler if we, uh, we only had, like, one generation. Mm -hmm. uh, because now, I mean... We wanted to make, I mean, 
they really wanted to make uh, to, to look uh, next gen with the, with the series consoles mm-hmm. uh, and really want to, to push that. But at the same time, uh, I mean, it, it can't look bad on the Xbox One. I mean, a lot of players still have, have an Xbox One. Mm-hmm. And a lot of players are going to play it on that. And I mean, we definitely don't want to give them a worse experience. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time just making uh, make it look as good as, as possible on, on all the platforms. And I mean, yes, it, it is a challenge, but fortunately, I mean, the, the tools uh, are, are like pretty good uh, to help with this. And we've, we've made some choices along the way to kind of minimize uh, the, um, the difficulty like from, from uh, with working on it. So, I mean, we're, we're using all the same assets on, on all the platforms uh, we're using. Uh, so, so it's been very pain-free uh, from, from that perspective. That's good to hear. Very nice. Awesome, awesome. I mean, and so the game, the game will definitely be like be very good and look very nice on, on all the platforms. Uh, but it will, of well, course, like look a bit better. Uh, it will, will, will look the best on the Series X, of course. I mean, that, that, that's that's kind of or like a really strong PC. That's uh, that's just the way it is. Being that it's an Xbox show, a lot of people wrote in asking why you chose to go Xbox exclusive. Is there any reasoning behind that? I mean. The reasoning is pretty simple, uh, I guess, because uh, since we partnered up with Microsoft for, the, for Microsoft for the game, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, asked for for why we did that, I mean, we we talked with a couple of different uh, pub- potential uh, partners, and and they were like they were sold on it. They they got the hype like really quickly. And have been very positive, uh, been a really positive partner all the way through, and mm-hmm. given us a lot of help. So I mean, that that was also kind of a new experience uh, uh, to a lot of us. But it's been like working with them has been very just just great all the way through. Nice, very cool to hear. Very cool to hear. Well, and in the last question here, I just want to know uh, what is it that you would point players to? What is it you're hoping players experience with the gunk and? Uh... You know, we, a, a day before or a couple days before release, what are you most excited for p- people to discover? I mean, when we started this game, I was mo- I was most uh, excited about like getting players to to kind of explore this world because that's kind of a, a pet thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as the game has progressed during development, and as I've kind of seen how players uh, experience it, uh, you, you know, when we've done playtests, but but also like just, especially I guess like the last few months as the game has, you know, really coalesced into shape and some of the team members have kind of, you know, started playing it, not, not just, you know, because it's the work, because we tell them that, okay, now it's been two weeks, you have to try, now you have to play like this section to, to right. make sure it looks good and everything. But they kind of, you know, they've gotten a lot of, lot of, uh, lot, lot of people on the team have gotten to the point where, like, I was just gonna try this thing out, and then, like, some time passed, and it, I'm just sucked into this world now. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And uh, and just posting all this uh, really lovely, all the, all those li- really lovely comments about things they appreciate with the game, 
which they're kind of surprised about themselves because the, everyone everyone has been so like, you know uh, neck deep in it. Uh, so now I would say that rather than exploring this world, it's to just experiencing it and and be a part in it and just listening, taking taking it slowly, I guess. Uh, and that which, which kind of goes back to like I think it's a perfect game for the for the Christmas holidays uh, because it, that it's not the, uh, a game you know again with this length and and it is a game pass game so a lot of people are gonna get it for free and uh, along with like a lot of other other great games so like had it not been a Christmas uh, I think a lot of people would you know tr- try to blaze through it in a weekend. Hopefully mm-hmm. here here you can you can take some more time with it. I mean it's not a lo- super long game, but you can mm-hmm. you know just relax with it because it, it has um, you can let it uh, listen to the beautiful music. You can uh, uh, just walk around and explore all the all the nooks and crannies. Uh, and like I said, there, there are a lot of like stuff to find. Uh, and it's I think it's the kind of uh, the kind of world and the kind of story. That, that kind of grows on you and that works the best if you play it slowly. Ulf Artelius, game director for The Gunk, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks a lot for letting me come.